Welcome to Posterity Podcast, a discussion of unusual subjects that touch the lives of everyday people from a Christian worldview. This is Mike Carmen sitting alongside my brother Jay Carmen, coming to you from cul-de-sacs in two mysteriously undisclosed locations in Ohio and Tennessee via the internet. So sit back, relax, and uh, try not to lose your lunch. This music coming to you, this is rather creepy music, don't you think? Or mysterious music, maybe that's it. Yeah, it is mysterious music, yeah. This is our brother Ray Carmen from his CD, Hangar 18. The track is titled CPL. And uh, he also produced this CD along with uh, Ken Klinger, Mike Crooker, and Michael Devine. And the last part of this, actually this track is like seven minutes long, I don't know. But you can hear somebody reading off... Uh, the Dewey Decimal System in the background while he while he plays it to music. It's really rather mysterious, eerie, and amusing at the same time. So, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And we thank Ray for putting that together. That's right. And uh, hey, if nobody wants to listen to this podcast, that's fine. Just uh, go go and find uh, RayCarmen.com. Is, is that what his website's titled? RayCarmen.com? Is that Ray Carmen or RayCarmenMusic.com? Ah, that's it. And uh, buy his CDs, Hangar 18 to start with. So, um, so how's it going, Jay? Good. It is a warm, comfortable, bright, sunshiny day here in southwest Ohio. And uh, dry. The wind is, you know, the really windy yesterday, which we all saw that. But uh, it's dry today and pleasant outside. I've got the windows open, the screens up. So for those of you that are listening, if you hear the occasional pounding of a hammer or saw or some kind of machinery it's my neighbor a couple doors down getting a new roof and some remodeling <laughs> done on their house and uh, whacking away i can hear it. what's that whacking away whacking away that's right yeah well it is beautiful here in middle tennessee oh. it's another bright sunshiny day um we've been getting the uh windy effects from that uh, hurricane or tropical storm whatever that was that uh, hit the coast Yesterday, Middle Tennessee was a lot like when you and Barb lived in Jacksonville, Florida, back in the 80s. It was yeah. sunny, humid, and really windy. And I yeah. thought, this is this feels like living in Florida. Yeah, yeah, that was a long time ago. Hot, very hot. It took me two years to get used to living down there for my blood to thin out enough so that I wasn't sweating. And then when we moved back to Ohio in the uh, late 80s, uh, it took me two years to get used to the cold. Oh, uh, yeah, it took I'm a long sure. time. Yeah, oh, yeah. I froze to death for the first year and a half, two years that we moved back here. And you grew up in Ohio. <laughs> grew up in Ohio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was. Uh, uh, yeah, it was a different, definite climate change. But it's been pleasant here in Southwest Ohio today, and even though it was windy yesterday, and, and we did get some rain, but that was really not too bad. Yeah. Well, welcome everybody to our inaugural broadcast podcast of posterity podcast the only podcast dedicated to talking about things that we want to talk about which are usually unusual unusually unusual usually, usually unusual. unusual yeah which are usually very unusual that's right which that's is right. yeah that describes our conversations for the most part yeah. we're kind of explaining for our listeners yeah including probably our kids and grandkids why in the world this was interesting to us then and now yeah so that they can answer the question, why was Grandpa and Uncle Mike so strange? 
Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Poor kids. And we'll try to yeah. do our best to describe it all from a Christian worldview. That's, that's part of what we're about. Well, today's topic is the Majestic 12 Documents. Have you heard of these, Jay? I have. Um, back in the early, or, yeah, early, early mid-2000s. Yeah. I think was my first, actually, probably, I, no, actually, you know, I take it back. It was earlier than that. Um, it was probably in the 90s. The, probably in the 90s sometime, yeah. yeah. It, 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 the documents have been around for a while, had been published for a while, or at least reports about them had been published, but I don't think I saw it till. Yeah, mid-90s. Yeah. I think if Dad ever read um, Top Secret Magic by Stan Friedman, I, I don't remember that being a book sitting around in the 80s and 90s, but it could have been. Could have yeah. been he did. Yeah. Yeah. So the Majestic Documents, they are a... The Majestic Documents is a term that refers generally to thousands of pages of purportedly classified government documents that prove the existence of a top secret group of scientists and military personnel known as Magic 12 or Majestic 12, which was evidently formed in 1947 under President Harry Truman and charged with investigating crashed extraterrestrial spacecraft and their occupants. I'm reading this, by the way, from uh, Dr. Michael Heiser's uh, paper, The Majestic Documents, a Forensic Linguistic Report for reasons of full disclosure. So the Majestic 12 personnel allegedly included a number of noteworthy political, scientific, and military figures, which Jay's going to talk about here in just a moment. But if you'd like to, folks, go to the Majestic12Documents.com website. You will find a chronological listing of those documents. I want to just briefly name a few of them. If you go to the chronological listing, you find out that a document called the Aquarius Teletype and the Aquarius Executive Briefing Teletype came into the hands of ufologist, UFO researcher William Moore in Los Angeles in 1981. And unfortunately, as we will discuss later on, William Moore does not have a great history as a, as a ufologist and was uh, discredited later on in, in the late 1980s for... Uh, his admission to passing off forged documents leaking or giving disinformation to other researchers. But um, the next batch comes to a guy by the name of Jamie Chandray in Los Angeles in 1984. And these included two of the more well-known documents that are the Eisenhower briefing document from 1952 and the Truman de Forestall memo which are both fascinating, we'll, we'll get to. The third uh, is the Cutler-Twining Memo, dated July 14th, 1954, which Jamie Chandray and William Moore claim to have found in the National Archives in College Park, Maryland. And the last one that is noteworthy is the Special Operations Manual, Extraterrestrial Entities and Technology, Recovery and Disposal. Everything you wanted to know about what to do if you find an extraterrestrial spaceship and bodies in your backyard. This came to Don Berliner, a researcher in Alexandria, Virginia, in March of 1994. So those are the, the four primary ones that we'll refer to uh, in this podcast. Um, but one of the important reasons we're doing this is 
one of the one of the really important reasons that we're talking about this is we want to talk about the subject of ufology from a Christian worldview. Right. Yeah, and we can't help but talk about the majestic twelve documents because they play a hand in the greater subject of the study of UFOs. Unidentified flying objects or UFOs, or as they're known today, unidentified aerial phenomena is a subject that is so deep and wide, it is so convoluted, and it has all these multiple components. Sometimes they clearly overlap, and at other times they only seem to be loosely related. And the Majestic 12 documents are clearly connected to the study of UFO phenomena, or the UFO phenomena, because the Majestic 12 group to which they refer is said to have developed out of the need to study wreckage from an alleged alien spacecraft outside of what place? Roswell, New Mexico. Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Uh, If you don't know about the crash, the alleged crash of of an alien spaceship in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947, well, you've just been living under a rock all your life. (laughs) That's right. You missed the entire 1990s, but anyway. So there's this connection to UFOs and this alleged crash of an alien spaceship, which give rise gives rise to the birth of the MJ-12 group. But it should be understood that the investigation into the Roswell crash comes to public knowledge before the Majestic 12 documents. The documents refer to the Roswell crash, but the public's knowledge of the Roswell crash actually comes before. Let me give you some uh, three levels of sources for this study. If you want to do some primary reading into the subject of the Majestic 12 documents, you need to go read Top Secret Magic by Stanton Friedman, first published in 1997. Now, he passed away, was it last year or the year before? I don't remember. I think it was, I, I, I think it was last year, and he has not been dead for, he has not been deceased for at least a year. Right, it was uh, May, passed away in May of 2019. Okay. So you can read Top Secret Magic. You should also go to stantonfriedman.com, which is his website, which would probably give you a more up-to-date uh, understanding of his conclusions. He did think some of the majestic documents were forgeries. Right. A third primary site or reference is majesticdocuments.com. This is the website of Robert Wood and Ryan Wood. If you want to look at some secondary sources of some people who handle this subject responsibly, I would wholeheartedly recommend you to read the academic paper, The Majestic Documents, A Forensic Linguistic Analysis, by Dr. Michael S. Heiser, published in 19, I want to say 1997, but that seems entirely too early. I bet that was published in the 2000s. I think I have the wrong date for that. Um, In fact, I'm sure that's wrong. It was probably in 2007. Uh, Michael Heiser is an ancient Near Eastern language or Semitic language specialist, and he submitted part of the documents to Forensic Linguistic Analysis by a woman by the name of Dr. Carol Chosky, which we'll talk about later. So that's one secondary source. Another is a video documentary titled Majestic 12, A UFO Disinformation Scandal by Alejandro Rojas. I love saying Alejandro. 
Mm-hmm. Rojas. Alejandro. Oh. Yes. <laughs> arriba, arriba. Alejandro. <laughs> that, that's a great name. I'm being serious. That's a great that name. That's a great name. Alejandro great. Rojas of Open Minds TV. So those are primary and secondary sources. If you want to look at some tertiary resources, I'll give you just a couple. Goodith French Pop 321. This is a, uh, a website maintained by Michael Heiser, and it gives a nice 17-minute, uh, very interesting video summary of the documents and his forensic linguistic analysis conclusions. You could also watch a documentary. I think it's still on Netflix. Have you seen the Mirage Men documentary? I have not. I've, I know you've talked about it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, you should watch that. It's a 2013 documentary film by John Lundgren, who uh, discusses about how the U.S. government used UFOs to cover up advanced technology. And this is a documentary which prominently features a former Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent, Richard Doty, and uh, some of the things that he did, which was not good. But uh, you, you need to watch that. Yeah, they're not good, what he did. But you should watch those documentaries uh, either way. So, um, Jay, tell us a little bit about how the documents actually came to light. Well, for most of us, um, the uh, the original, the, our first, like in my case, my first knowledge of the, the concept of uh, a group or an organization called Majestic 12 and an operation called Majestic 12, came from Stanton Friedman's book, The uh, uh, oh, Top Secret Magic Operation Majestic 12 in the United States government's cover-up, uh, United States government's UFO cover-up. This was uh, Friedman's kind of revelatory work where he takes the research that he did into these documents. And as Mike has said, the, the documents were first leaked to uh, Jamie Chanderay, who was a documentary filmmaker. And they were researched by Friedman, researched by Chandray, researched by William Moore. Uh, they concluded, for the most part, that the documents were authentic, except that other doc some of the documents Friedman did conclude were not authentic. So for most people, they come to light because of the publication of this book. And uh, th that was, you know, my first, my first introduction. The interesting thing about the whole majestic 12 operation is the individuals that the documents list as being a part of this alleged uh, you know group that is involved with investigating crashed ufos uh, recovering bodies reverse engineering technology looking for military applications all sorts of things if you go to the majesticdocuments.com website you can get kind of a full fuller picture of each of these 12 i'm just going to mention them by name these the 12 people that I'm going to mention here were all at, were well known, actually. Uh, and uh, although by the time they're mentioned, I think in the uh, Friedman's book and even in the the leaked documents, some of them were deceased by that time. But Lloyd, the members were Lloyd Berkner, Detlev Bronk, Vannevar Bush, James Forrestal, Gordon Gray, Roscoe H. Hillencotter, Jerome Clark Hunsaker, uh, Donald H. Menzel. Robert M. Montague, Sidney Sowers, Nathan F. Twining, and Hoyt Vandenberg. All of these individuals were connected in some way with either the military, 
uh, or with, uh, in some cases, military intelligence, or they were scientists connected to military research, or they were government officials in charge of organizations and departments within uh, the U.S. government that handled military research. All these people, according to Freeman's conclusions, had a, a legitimate reason to potentially be in the group, with the exception of Menzel, Donald Menzel, who was actually a well-known uh, debunker of yeah. UFOs at the time. So uh, this was the original 12, and uh, that was the, according to the documents, it was their job, and that had been their job since the crash at Roswell, the reported crash at, or purported crash at Roswell in 47, had been their job to study these things and uh, find good military applications or, you know, have an understanding of what had happened and how can we best exploit the technology involved. Given that, there were some problems associated with the discovery of the documents. And, uh, you know, one of those Mike has already alluded to. Part of the the uh, discovery of the documents involved uh, a, CIA, a former CIA disinformation officer by the name of Richard Doty, who was involved with Moore and uh, uh, with other researchers afterward in purportedly leaking classified information. But you're a disinformation officer leaking classified information, you know, how does that even work out exactly? Yeah. Isn't and that, that had been going on for a few years prior yeah, to the to the film that uh, Chandray acquired uh, in 1984. So they were kind of primed for that. They were. And that's, that's why some people, many uh, researchers, official and non-official, have concluded that this is uh, a lot of it's just a hoax because of the people that were, because of this person in particular who was involved. But you also have to remember that this came out in the 80s and the United States at that time was kind of primed for conspiracy thinking. We'd already experienced Watergate, yeah. uh, the JFK assassination. There were uh, just a lot of things that really politically uh, contributed to the idea that our government was good at covering things up. You know, we didn't know about the nuclear bomb until it got dropped, you know, in uh, or the atomic bomb until it got dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in the uh, Second World War. So the idea that the government or the military and scientists could cover things up for a long period of time, we were already familiar with that concept. And in the 80s, that was a big thing. It's a big thing now. So we're primed for that. Yeah, as much as we don't like uh, government secrecy, our government really should be good at keeping secrets to a degree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We actually yeah. depend upon them for that. Right. I, yeah. And we pay them money for that. It's called taxes. And it's okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm okay with a lot of that. Uh, so, you know, anyway. Uh, also, the, uh, the whole leaking of the documents was preceded. Uh, leaking of the documents, as in the film given to Chandra, was preceded by a couple of years of quiet communications, coded postcards, all sorts of secret spy stuff, you know, that, that led up to that. There are some who suspect that the Cutler-Twining memo, which is something that we'll talk about in a bit, which was the key document, really, to the discovery of uh, and the revelation of the uh, the Operation 12 project, uh, that that was planted. So there was a lot of leading on, so to speak. And if you were to go to the, to the internet today and you were to Google or DuckDuckGo or whatever your search engine of choice is, if you were to do a search engine look 
for Majestic 12 or the Majestic 12 documents, uh, documents or MJ12, your primary hits are going to be on a series of fictional novels. <laughs> Mike and I joke about this. It really probably is just a lot of fiction anyway. But yeah. now there are really fictional novels and TV shows and programs built around this concept of a hidden organization within the military government dedicated to recovery and research on interplanetary spacecraft and the people that fly them around. So those are going to be your top hits. And right after that would be a number of blogs and podcasts that are dedicated to modern research of these older topics. So getting back to the original topics, the original documents, unless you go to the majestic12documents.com website, it's difficult. Yeah. For most people, you know, for, for most of us, it's just this thing that we've heard about. Just like Roswell is this thing that we've heard about. And Area 51 is this thing that we've heard about. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, there are some big problems with the Majestic 12 documents and their origin. I would encourage you to go back and watch a documentary that Alejandro Rojas, is a name I love saying, produced called Majestic 12, A UFO Disinformation Scandal. In this documentary, he creates a link between an Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent named Richard Doty, a UFO researcher by the name of William Moore, and a Ph.D. scientist by the name of Paul Benowitz. Now, Alejandro Rojas uh, sent a Freedom of Information Act request to the United States Air Force, and they sent him three files. And from these three files, here's what he learned. He learned that there was a Ph.D. scientist by the name of Paul Benowitz who owned a, like, humidity generation type company called Thunder Scientific, which was adjacent to Kirtland Air Force Base. And during his time as owner of this company, he evidently observes or thinks he observes UFOs around Kirtland Air Force Base, and he acquires like 2,600 feet of film. He basically um, gets an audience with Jerry Miller, who is a scientific advisor for the Air Force, and Richard Doty, a off, a, an Air Force Office of Scientific Investigations agent. And he shows them this evidence, and they look at it and say that the, you know, hey, this is inconclusive. Uh, there's really no need for further investigation. Well, Paul Benowitz is so convinced that he is observing aliens and that he's actually in contact with aliens that he gets a hold of U.S. Senator Harrison Schmidt, who gets back in touch with Doty, and Doty says, hey, there's nothing going on here. Well, uh, Senator Pete Domenici gets involved. And to make a really long story short, what we find is that Richard Doty, as this Air Force Office of Special Investigations agent, he says, hey, look, Paul, what you're really recording here are some secret projects that we have going on. And Richard Doty made him believe that it was, in fact, aliens that he was observing. So Richard Doty flies Paul Benowitz, evidently, over what's called the, the, the Dulce base. Have you ever heard of this, Jay? No, no, I'm not familiar with the Dulce base. Yeah, the Dulce base was this alleged underground joint human alien base 
under Arcoleta Mesa uh, near the Colorado-New Mexican border or near uh, Dulce, New Mexico. So he flies him over this base and he makes him think that, hey, look, there's a much greater scheme going on here between humans and aliens. And over the process, uh, over time, uh, Richard Doty begins to feed Paul Benowitz some manufactured uh, documents, uh, some false documents. He feeds them to Paul Benowitz and he also gives them to UFO researcher William Moore. Now, if you have ever read The Roswell Incident by Charles Berlitz, you know that that book was co-authored by none other than William Moore. And now, according to Richard Doty, William Moore is now the recipient of some false information that Doty knowingly gave to William Moore and William Moore knowingly received as false information. So there's a big problem here. William Moore also knowingly gives false documents to Paul Benowitz. And one of these is the Aquarius memo or the Aquarius teletype, which I think comes out in March of 81. And this document, which would have really spurred uh, Paul Benowitz on, this document says that the Air Force was investigating Paul Benowitz's claims as a part of what was known as Project Aquarius. And Project Aquarius had restricted access to the Majestic 12 group. So this really would have just led Paul Benowitz on uh, by a string. I mean, he was just holding a carrot out in front of this poor guy. But I'll wrap all this up. I'll let you watch the documentary for yourself. But William Moore comes out in a, a MUFON conference in 1990, uh, 1989 says, Hey, look, I knowingly fed disinformation to fellow UFO researchers. And this is all tied back to Richard Doty. And this is so tragic because, as you know, William Moore, Jamie Chandray, and Stan Friedman were big proponents in the 1980s of the Majestic 12 documents. And now one of their researchers is a comes out as a known disinformation guy. And this really just this really just shoots the whole MJ-12 documents in the foot and just just uh, casts such great, I don't know, what would you call it? Um, yeah, a cloud of disbelief. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Doty gives the interview to, I think, George Knapp, where he admits that he'd been a disinformation officer for years. I think I said earlier when I mentioned him, that it was CIA, but you're right. It was Office of Special. He was with the Office of Special Investigations with the Air Force. Yeah, and uh, and the CIA has documented that they had had informants embedded within UFO research organizations earlier. So yeah, there's this whole cloud of who can know what, but what's the truth and what's not? Who can know the truth? You can't. Yeah. And when you've got Jamie Chandray and Stanton Friedman working with a guy who later comes out and says, I've given false information to UFO researchers. And Richard Doty says, yeah, I knowingly gave false information to William Moore and to Paul Benowitz. This cast sets incredible doubt on the authenticity of these documents yeah. that uh, it makes for a great story. You know, the majestic right. documents make for a great story, a great novel a great miniseries if somebody would produce it, but it just 
cast such big doubt on their authenticity. Mm-hmm. And, and it brings into question the whole purpose. Why do that? Why spend that much time, that much energy? Why, why pay somebody to do that kind of stuff? It's one thing to pay somebody to spy. It's one thing for an organization or a government agency to pay one of their people to spy on something or someone or some other. That's, that's something else. It's another thing to, to pay someone to feed deliberately misleading information. What is the purpose? Because it's, it's usually to lead people to conclude something that is false. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, uh, and therefore, what is, what is true? And, and in, in doing all of that, it perpetuates the discussion, perpetuates the, the false narrative. The false narrative perpetuates any myths associated with uh, it. It does it, and it does it to. It has a cascading effect. It affects the whole majestic twelve documents thing. It affects Roswell. It affects Area Fifty One. It affects anything related to uh, the topic of uh, extraterrestrial craft. Most definitely, when people like Richard Doty go out of their way to feed this kind of false information to the public. And and people are not crazy when they observe these craft that come out of nowhere, make these sharp 90-degree turns, do things that our known technology cannot do. And when Richard Doty begins to cast all of this in the light of alien technology, that just tells me that either our own government, our own military, is hiding some fantastic stuff that they would want to make people believe that it's alien. Or when people come back and say, hey, this is alien, and they're just silent about the whole question, about the whole issue of what it is people observing. This tells me that some people will go to great lengths to create a false narrative to hide something. That our own government is saying, hey, you know, this is... (laughs) This is really our stuff, and we're willing to perpetuate the alien mythos to lead you to believe that? Or we have no idea where this is coming from. Right, yeah. <laughs> we have no idea what this is, but if you want to believe it's alien, you go right ahead. You know, And right. we'll debunk it exactly. at the same time. Yeah. Crazy. Which gets us into some spiritual discussions that Mike and I will cover later, because there's, there's on the paranormal side of this, there is the the spiritual aspect of, you know, how does this affect people? Um, There's a very real spiritual connection to all of this. Yeah. 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 And it affects people's worldviews. It leads people to conclude things that may or may not be true. So, yeah. And, you know, Paul, and tragically, Paul Benowitz uh, had to be admitted into a mental hospital in 1988 because he could not deal with all of this that was right. that he and that Doty was feeding him. And uh, it's just tragic. Uh, he did come out of that hospital and he passed away in uh, June of 2003. But I don't know if he remained the, you know, you know, the owner of Thunder Scientific and, and all of that or, um, you know, what his condition was in later life. But it's very tragic nonetheless. So. Yeah. All right. All right. That concludes this segment of the Majestic 12 Documents. Here's Ray Carmen to take us out. 
yeah, that's this concludes our introduction. Now, with episode two, we'll talk about some other aspects of Majestic 12. Uh, specifically, we're going to be talking about authorship, attribution. Who wrote some of these documents? Were they really written by that person? Were they all phony and hoax and disinformation? Or were some of them authentic? And we'll talk about the sources for the uh, verification of authorship. That's a, 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 an entirely different thing. So, Yeah. And it will uh, give us some more information as to what we ought to really think about the Majestic 12 documents, Majestic 12 as a group, and UFOs in general. So, yeah. We're going to have to get Ray on here to tell us the provenance of this music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> what were you thinking? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's an it's a interesting piece. Yeah. Anything else we need to say here? I think we're good. Thank you for listening, folks, and um, hopefully we'll have something interesting to say in our next podcast episode.